This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Lots of news on the vaccine front today. Yesterday, the province unveiled plans to roll out booster shots. So several groups are at the top of the line, in addition to residents of long-term care and retirement homes who are already getting them. People over 70, people who received two doses of AstraZeneca, regardless of age, healthcare workers, essential caregivers, and Indigenous people. Now, they can all book as of next week. Everyone else will have to wait until January. This very positive news has a lot of people scratching their heads about another decision made yesterday. Ontario will not require mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers. And Until they made the announcement, they said they were consulting with hospitals and other stakeholders, and most of those people wanted mandatory vaccination and are not happy with the decision. What do you think? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. So let's begin with that question. I'd like to welcome... Dr. Peter Uni, the Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Hi, and thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me again. So what is your reaction to uh, the Ford government's decision not to have mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers? Oh, I came to consider this to be work in progress. You remember uh, a few months ago, I sounded like a broken wretched, uh, you know, talking about vaccine certificates again and again, that it probably is a good idea. Um, And here we are and we have them now. Uh, Here we will see what happens next. Uh, It is challenging and I can understand, you know, that you then uh, also want to consider what's happening. Do we have a shortage of staff, etc.? Looking at Quebec, for example, we felt when we just were making our statement, responding to the premier, that uh, the advantages clearly are favoring vaccine mandates if you have such a clear and strong case. And we only have, we need to be aware of that, strong cases for hospitals, long-term care homes and retirement homes. Well, you know, one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, th- this idea that it's, I mean, would people want their surgeon to be unvaccinated. And uh, our audience knows I was actually in the hospital last April at the height of the third wave, not COVID related. I got excellent care, but just about the most stressful aspect of it was that I did not know if the people who were treating me and who were coming very close to me and there were, you know, bodily fluids involved, whether they were vaccinated. It is extremely stressful. Yeah, look, I think there are two aspects right now. One is we need to be aware of that. We're in a really good spot. Even so, case numbers now are slowly creeping up a little bit. We're in a really good spot. Case numbers are low. We have really high vaccine coverage, etc. So don't let now this discussion regarding vaccine mandates in hospitals deter you from going and seek care if it's needed. It's really important now. We can't continue with what we did before. You know, we have really a lot of people who didn't get the appropriate care during the last 18 or 20 months, and this needs to change. Um, I think the overwhelming majority of people, you know, of course, will be vaccinated, even in hospitals who don't uh, mandate it. But uh, I see where you're coming from, and I agree with you. I believe that we have a really strong case. Patients in hospitals are vulnerable. Therefore, it would be great if all the staff were fully vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, I think you alluded to something. (laughs) One of the things that has people shaking their heads about this uh, government is that they don't necessarily do the right thing right away. But uh, eventually, when they figure out that enough people are annoyed, they change their minds. Look, 
I think it is difficult. I said that before. Um, it's not that I particularly would like to be a, a, a politician right now. Anywhere in the world, everybody is struggling a bit. What we really need to see is that the glass is more than half full. There's a lot of things we've done right since May 2021. And this means we're in a really great position right now, unlike the overwhelming majority of the world, actually. We're in a good position. And we also should look at that. You know, the world will not come to an end because we don't have vaccine mandates in hospitals right now. Do I still believe it's the right decision to have the mandates? Yes, I do. But I can see that one also can have another opinion. No, we should we should be a little bit tolerant there. Right now, we really look great in Ontario, and let's just keep it that way. Okay, uh, before we move on to the question of booster shots, uh, do you agree that with the numbers, I mean, there are small numbers of, of hospital healthcare workers who aren't vaccinated, that that would really gum up the works and, and cause staffing shortages? Um, I believe not in general. However, what we need to acknowledge is, you know, that GTA and uh, Ottawa, for example, are probably a bit of a different ball game than, uh, you know, more rural places. And there may be more of a challenge there sometimes. And uh, I can see that this could be an issue in certain situations. I still believe, you know, considering everything is just the right thing to mandate if your uh, clients or your patients are vulnerable. Uh, moving along, <laughs> and thank you for responding so candidly, uh, moving right along to the booster shot. So we heard about the rollout yesterday, and one of the things I'm not quite clear on, uh, so you can, uh, if you're in one of those groups, you can book uh, as of next week, but is that interval of six months, is that going to be very strict or, you know, if you're five and a half, there's no problem? Uh, do you have a handle on that? I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, we, we need to be aware of that. Most of us have had a longer interval than just four weeks which means that uh, our immune response on average is a bit better than in many other places in the world because we didn't slavishly adhere to the three to four week interval. Great news. Um, um, now, the, the point is, this means that for most of us, it doesn't really matter whether it's six, six and a half or seven months or so. Just let's get it then because uh, it will uh, mean more protection. I won't know or I don't know right now how stubbornly, you know, the six month cutoff will be pursued. I, I believe it will probably be a challenge that just uh, on the website you won't be able, if you're not, you know, just uh, beyond the six months that you might not be able actually to, to register. But uh, let's find out how it goes. Okay, yeah, I think we have to uh, ask somebody in the government about that. Um, and uh, so we have the list of people who are eligible first. And, you know, I think it has a lot of people who got AstraZeneca, full disclosure, I'm one of them, uh, you know, wondering, did they get an inferior vaccine or anything like that? What What would you answer to that? Dr. Uni? Uh, okay, he shows us being there, but uh, I guess we will move right along. You know, as I said earlier, many healthcare providers are opposed to and disappointed by the province's decision. The rationale apparently was a fear that many procedures and treatments would be canceled because of large numbers of staff leaving. At one point, the premier mentioned a number thousands, 10,000. I don't know where that came from. Many hospitals have their own vaccine mandate, but is the province going this route? Is that throwing them under the bus? In an editorial, the Globe and Mail called the provincial decision spineless. The opposition says they're pandering to anti-vaxxers. Again, what do you think? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, I'll take a call from Ron in Guelph before I go to our next panel. Hi, Ron. Hello, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. You know, I can I can come up with a bunch of slogans that are apply to this thing. Um, Danvously do and Danvously don't. Between a rock and a hard place, catch 22, because... If they do, like some of the hospitals, I mean, Quebec, my son is in, in Quebec, and they've got a situation down there, same as they have in some places in the States where 
they don't have enough staff now and uh, surgeries are being postponed. My greatest concern is, and I'm one of those relevant people, I want to get that third booster shot, by the way, is that um, I want to know that that person working in that hospital has been uh, tested that day. Isn't that more important? Um uh, uh, I, I think a vaccine mandate is a good thing. Uh, I would want to know, and I, as I said, I, I was in the hospital, and I would have felt better if I knew that everybody was vaccinated. But uh, that's, uh, I mean, you, uh, you know, I guess that's an individual thing. But well, uh, I mean, it's, it's that it's. Um, I'm, I'm more concerned that surgeries are going to be canceled. There was enough surgeries canceled as it was. I was fortunate to get my bypass surgery just a month uh, before they started canceling the surgeries. And I, I would hate to think that um, somebody uh, would be dying because they, you know, they didn't have staff to come in on a couple of days. I, I still think I'm, I'm in favor of the vaccine. I've been vaccinated. Um, but as I said, I'm more concerned that I would no want to know if they haven't been vaccinated, were they tested? Uh, to make sure they're testing negative on this. Okay, Ron, thanks for that. Okay, uh, let us bring in our panel. I'm joined by David Moucher, President and CEO of Windsor Regional Hospital, Dr. Alon Vaisman, Infectious Diseases and Infection Control Physician at the University Health Network, and Dr. Doris Greenspoon, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association. Hello, and thanks for joining us. Uh, let's begin with David Moucher and um, the Ford government canvas hospitals, and I believe 121 out of 140 said they wanted a vaccine mandate, and the answer was no. Yeah, I mean, we're disappointed uh, that the answer was no, but that's not going to deter us as Windsor Regional Hospital, and I know UHN, um, in, doing, in continuing to do the right thing. I can tell you, since uh, the government's announcement, I've been inundated with our own staff, community members, patients, sending me emails, texts, and calls. The vast majority, 99%, just like our vaccination rate, have been, please do not change your policy. As you just stated, it, it doesn't eliminate the risk, but it greatly reduces the risk. Um, and as hospitals, we have to set the example. And the last point on it, the gentleman talking about cancellation of surgeries, you know, surgeries have been canceled, at least in our organization, when we had outbreaks um, on our floors. Um, we had to uh, stop admissions to particular floors, and therefore we had to cancel surgeries as a result. That's what we're trying to avoid here. Um, and again, we won't eliminate it, but we greatly reduce it by saying today, 100% of Windsor Regional Hospital staff is vaccinated. Um, that's uh, that's impressive. <clears throat> and before we move to our other panelists, I just want to ask, does this decision by the government put you in a worse position in terms of being able to enforce the mandate or, um, you know, putting people not paying them, suspend them? Do you think it does that? It just increases the rhetoric um, with respect to the issue. Um, but let me put this reverse on this situation too. If we announced today we were rescinding our policy and bringing back the 57 employees and five professional staff, I guarantee you we will have that number, probably three times that number, walking out of this building the next day mm -hmm. when it comes to staff leaving the building because we did that, let alone the impact on patients and families. So we have to look at it that way. Doris Greenspoon, uh, you are advising people that if they have to go to the hospital, make sure you go to a hospital with a vaccine mandate. hundred percent. So first, uh, let me uh, congratulate all the CEOs that stood up for science and to protect patients. Our NEO has been since July asking the premier to move on mandatory vaccination. Um, I tell you, first of all, to the caller before, uh, good luck with your surgery, uh, best, best wishes. But I want to say to every Ontarian, testing and vaccination are two different things. And if our Minister of Health doesn't understand that, then we need to go to square zero. Testing is for surveillance. 
vaccination is used for prevention. They're not interchangeable. So for those that say, oh, we will only require testing, ain't good enough for patients, period. And to the question you just did about does it affect Windsor Hospital or UHN or CHEO, et cetera, the ones that are doing the right thing, no, it doesn't affect them. It affects the ones that do not have the policy because the 57 people plus the others, plus the others, plus the others that were suspended or let go because of not being fully vaccinated are going to the places that are with looser policies. So those patients will get worse care even with more people unvaccinated, which is what happened in the U.S. and why we're asking a absolutely blanket policy for this entire province. And the premier needs to just take a vaccine of courage. (laughs) <laughs> Dr. Vaisman, as a, a, a doctor on the front lines, what's your reaction to this decision? It certainly would have been helpful for the premier to announce on the provincial level for the vaccines to be mandated in healthcare workers. I think um, overall the max vaccine mandates have become a contentious issue, but really the focus should be on these high-risk settings. So places like hospitals, long-term care facilities, schools, they're places where it really does make sense to mandate vaccines because that's where transmission events are occurring, and that's where the people who are going to be infected are very vulnerable to getting bad outcomes. So, you know, in these settings where we already mandate vaccination for other things, it makes sense to add COVID to that list. And have you found at UHN, because uh, you have uh, enforced your vaccine mandate, has it gummed up the works? Have you had to cancel procedures because of that more than you were getting back on track with? It's hard to say about the specific details, but the overall number of people who ended up uh, being let go as a result ended up being smaller and smaller as the weeks went on because more and more people were, in fact, convinced to be vaccinated. So although the vaccine mandate itself is important because it directly protects patients, the other way that it's helpful is to encourage people who are less certain about the vaccine to get vaccinated. So those numbers brought down even further. And overall, the function of the hospital is quite good, of course. I mean, safety is provided to the patients. And uh, the, the primary concern isn't so much that, but more the vaccine vaccination of the staff. Yeah, I mean, uh, it just, uh, again, uh, you know, I think Dr. Uni said it, that that he would expect that this is a work in progress and that that decision will change. Um, Livy, if yep. I may, we don't want also, with all due respect to all of our hospitals, for the unvaccinated staff, to be working in home care. Home care is equally important. People that are receiving chemotherapy at home, people that are receiving wound care at home, or a person that needs a bed pass even from a PSW is because they're vulnerable. So those people that work in home care also need mandatory vaccination across the board. Otherwise, somewhere will suffer the consequences because the people unvaccinated will basically gravitate to those places. Doris, I I want to expand on that because I've had calls from people who are receiving home care. Uh, So first of all, some of them have been told that they are, quote, not allowed to ask. Uh, You know, this is a free country with free speech. So what I tell them is you can ask. The, The truth is they don't have to answer you, but you can draw your own conclusions. And I've had calls from people who say they need home care, but they have canceled it because they couldn't get a guarantee that the person was vaccinated. And this is just so unfair to vulnerable people in the community. Do you have any advice for them? Absolutely. First of all, we are advising every nurse to disclose to patients that they're vaccinated because it puts patients at ease. Second, we are saying to patients, yes, you have a right to ask. You may not get the answer, but you have a right to ask. Third, you will be delighted to hear that 20 nursing home care agencies, including St. Elizabeth, Bayshore, VON, they all now implemented mandatory vaccination. But this is the issue. So you have CEOs of hospitals stepping up to the plate. You have 20 home care stepping up to the plate. You have a minister, the Ministry of Long-Term Care, Rod Phillips. He stepped up to the plate. 
The premier was aware of all of them and supported all of them, and then he chickened out. Premier, take a vaccine, and it's called the vaccine of courage. And stand with the people that you need to stand, the majority of the public and healthcare workers. Yeah, I, I have to say that I was also very surprised that Quebec had to back off, and I'm sort of wondering what the heck is going on there. Uh, do any of you, um, David Moucher, do you have any sense of, of why the situation seemed to be so dire in Quebec? I don't know exactly. Um, again, it's uh, any, you know, across the globe, any entity that came up with a mandate, I mean, in, until you go right to the wire, uh, look what they were saying in New York with the police. Uh, there was going to be 10,000 out of 30,000 police uh, walking off the job because they're unvaccinated and end up being, what, 43, 34, something like that. 34, um, exactly. So, you know, I, again, it's a mandate, it's a mandate. You stick to your gun um, with respect to you look at what's important and what you're trying to protect. And I have to give Doris a ton of credit. She's been advocating this uh, since, like she said, July. Um, she's been raising this flag and um, you stick to it. And so, again, when you pull away from it, uh, I, I would imagine... Like I said, the phone calls they're going to be getting from patients and the community and fellow staff members is going to far away than um, what they thought they were getting from instituting the mandate. And, and, and they're going to hear about it from the community and the patients. Uh, Big time. The majority of nurses are saying they do not want to work with unvaccinated colleagues, period. Yep. And I agree with Doris. That's what we're hearing from our own staff. And like I said, I think the numbers would dwarf uh, the numbers that we actually had to terminate if we actually reverse this, um, the, the individuals walking out, let alone we knew what was going to happen as patients were going to be asking staff that were coming into the room, are you vaccinated? This eliminates all of that altogether um, and uh, avoids that very difficult situation for patient staff to go through. Yeah, that's enough coming in the hospital, let alone asking and needing to ask your healthcare worker if they're vaccinated or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you know, also the irony, Dr. Vaseman, that, you know, you need to show proof of vaccination to go into a restaurant, but not in a hospital that, you know, to a lot of people, that just doesn't make sense. Well, and right. maybe the, the irony of announcing that on a day that they're saying that to healthcare workers they're opening the booster, which is a third shot. I mean, the, the whole thing is just, it's just, it's for a, for a theater, you know, not not for reality. Uh, Dr. Vaseman, you were saying? Yeah, right. I think um, that that kind of policy is uh, confusing, probably for the general population to understand about. You know, you're looking at very vulnerable populations in a hospital and mandating vaccines versus other settings in the province, like social areas and clubs and bars, which probably are low risk or lower risk, I should say, compared to that. So there certainly is a lot more logic and evidence for the mandate in healthcare or settings. And, uh, you know, we, in some of these areas across Ontario where there aren't mandates yet in, the, in their hospitals, they might get away with it in the short term. But because the cases are currently low, but if cases begin to rise again in the winter months in December and January, those are likely going to be the hospitals or facilities that are likely to experience more outbreaks and going to be the consequences. So for now, things may be, seem fine, but the future may you know, tell us the, the consequences of their decisions. Hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, again, I mean, uh, you know, to, to some people, like the whole concept of a healthcare worker who doesn't believe in vaccines is very strange. Yep. Yeah. I, I think uh, the other thing to recognize is that vaccination is required throughout many other phases of our life when we're children, you know, when we're going to school, healthcare workers already are required to vaccinate for other things. The only difference is that this is a new type of vaccine. Outside of that, the, the very nature of mandatory mandating a vaccine is not new at all. It's been around for a very long time. Yeah, and there are other vaccines that are mandated. Uh, we are almost out of time. I'm just going to go around the table to see what you'd like to leave us with, starting with Dor Dr. Doris Greenspoon. So I would basically ask uh, Minister Elliot not to lend her voice to something that 
I am to believe that she doesn't believe in, and this is the Premier's decision. I would ask the Premier to reverse his decision and to do what's right for the great majority of Ontarians and for 95% of the healthcare workers, if not higher. This is what we need. This is what we do. And as you said, vaccines is not new, and science is what we need to follow, not just rhetoric. Uh, Dr. Vaisman, what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I think the overall overwhelming support from vaccination mandates and hospitals from various sectors, the healthcare professionals is very reassuring. It's nice to see that, uh, you know, when you consider about flu vaccinations, how difficult it was to mandate that over the years. Perhaps that will also change now with flu vaccination as well and whatever vaccines come in the future to protect uh, patients and staff. And David Moucher. Yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, first of all, again, thanks for uh, Doris uh, from the start of all of this. But, um, you know, God gave us necks for a reason. you got to stick them out every so often. <laughs> and if there is ever going to be an issue to stick them out on, it's going to be this one. And uh, Dr. Henry, I think, summed it up great in B.C. She said, if you're in healthcare, there's never been a time where vaccines are more important than now. So to take a position working in healthcare opposite of this, is basically mind-boggling and um, as a result um, I know Doris, myself, Dr. Vaisman and other the 120 plus other hospital CEOs and hospitals across the province know we're doing the right thing and our patients and community in large part are supporting us and I have to give very proud of you okay On that note, we will wrap things up. Thank you so much, Dr. Doris Greenspoon, David Moucher, and Dr. Alon Vaisman. Thank you. Thank you, Levy. Thank you. Stay safe. And before we go to break, another note, and uh, Dr. Vaisman mentioned flu season. So uh, with flu season around the corner, uh, this is a shout out to the audience. Do you have questions about the flu and the flu shot? Uh, or even the COVID-19 booster. So uh, our sister station, Vision TV, the Zoomer TV is hosting a Q&I, a Q&A style show with experts there to answer your questions. And if you would like to participate by answering, uh, by asking, excuse me, a question, send us an email, simple email address, rsvp at zoomermedia.ca. So that's rsvp at zoomermedia.ca if you'd like to participate in our TV show on flu shots and other vaccines. And with that, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the legal implications at all of this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. So how will the provinces stand against mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers affect the legalities. Last week, a group of UHN employees challenged the vaccine mandate in court. The judge did not decide in their favor, but the plaintiffs say this is just the beginning. So let's bring in Puneet Tiwari, who is an employment lawyer with Levitt Sheikh Law. Hi, Puneet. Thanks for joining us. I thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, does this decision by the province um, uh, have implications for the hospitals that put vaccine mandates in on their own? Well, the general answer is no. Uh, hospitals are free to put in vaccine mandates. And frankly speaking, the law is already on their side as the Occupational Health and Safety Act plus the common law, both require the hospital to ensure the safety of uh, not only its employees, but visitors to the hospital. And so they are free to uh, put in these mandates. Well, the the thing about it is that uh, before termination, they were put, they were, uh, the people who didn't comply were suspended without pay. I mean, could this mean that they will now be required to pay more because the province says it's not re- necessary? Uh, That's a good question. But the reality is that 
um, in my opinion, I think the province is just passing the buck because they know these, this law is already enforceable. And we've actually seen it before in the past with nurses uh, unions uh, going up against health care or long-term care homes. Or, um, and this also arose during SARS uh, back in 2003. And uh, the bottom line is that unvaccinated employees will not win in court as long as there's an effective and properly drafted vaccine mandate or policy in place at that workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they won't, and they won't win damages or anything like that. Uh, that's correct. And uh, of course, uh, in the courts, anything can happen, but, but uh, that is this firm's position that it's going to be a losing battle for those unvaccinated employees. Even though the province hasn't put in their own mandate, we have the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and common law has told us over the last 20-plus years that even in cases of the unknown, uh, to pre- prevent unnecessary illness and death, employers need to uh, err on the side of caution. Hmm. Now, there is a federal vaccine mandate, and does that give shade to federally regulated employers who put in vaccine mandates? Well, it encourages those federally uh, ma- uh, sorry, federally regulated employers to put in a vaccine mandate. And frankly, all, all employers should have some type of policy, especially if employees are working closely within each other in close proximity to each other. There needs to be a vaccine policy or else it's negligence on part of the employer. The federal government, uh, by implementing this mandate, is ensuring that it's not sued for negligence if they fail to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, I mean, um, this this uh, it wasn't a lawsuit, but this court action last week by the UHN employees. So the judge said it wasn't in his jurisdiction, and these problems should be taken to the usual avenues of arbitration or union grievances. Um, what did you make of that? Well, I think Justice Dunphy was absolutely correct. So the the unions were trying to put in place an injunction where it could, um, you know, they could stop people from being terminated um, for refusing a vaccine in the short term until uh, this plays out in the courts. And Justice Dunphy refused to grant that injunction. And as a result, the hospitals are free to terminate uh, or put employees on unpaid leave if they refuse to va- vaccinate and they have a vaccination mandate in place. Mm-hmm. And do you expect a, a, a flurry of legal action lawsuits? Well, I, I think I, we have definitely been getting a flurry of questions and uh, inquiries from the unvaccinated, but uh, we have yet to see a flurry of actual lawsuits. I think most lawyers realize that uh, most of the time it's going to be a losing cause. Now, if employees are terminated without cause, that's a different story. If you're terminated without cause, you can absolutely sue uh, because you know you might you might uh, be entitled to additional severance. But if you're terminated for a cause, for not getting a vaccine, or you just don't want to comply with testing or vaccination, that's going to be a losing battle. Okay. Puneet Tiwari, thank you so much for that. No problem. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to take another break. When we come back, as if the increase in food prices wasn't enough, we've just been learning about huge, well, Okay, big increases in the cost of dairy products come February, and we will get into that when we come back. Uh, by the way, the numbers, if you have anything to say about it, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. As if the price hikes we are already seeing at the grocery store aren't enough. The Canadian Dairy Commission announced last week that dairy farmers will get an unprecedented 8.4% more 
for milk and more than 12% more for butter starting in February. Now, it depends on where you shop, but unless it's on sale, personally, I pay more than $6 a pound of unsalted butter. Sometimes it's over $7. Now, most of us probably aren't even aware of this body, which controls dairy prices. Farmers have a quota system called supply management. So let's drill down on that and uh, just get a sense of what they can do right now. Uh, oh, and uh, let me give you the numbers because I want to hear from you about your Dairy bills, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael von Massow, Associate Professor in the Department of Food Agriculture and Resource Economics at Guelph University, and Rosie Schwartz, Consulting Dietitian and Author of the Enlightened Eater's Whole Foods Guide. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, well, thanks for having me. Okay. Well, let us begin with you then, Dr. Von Masso. So was this a surprise? And this uh, body that uh, we don't know very much about is suddenly saying prices are going up. Well, I think one of the things that, that, that it's surprising to us that they announce price increases. I mean, the, the bad news, Libby, is that the... Uh, the prices of more than milk are going to go up for a variety of reasons in the new year. And because of the structure of supply management, where there is a sort of a, a black box, but but based on cost of production, where, where they announce in advance that prices are going to go up. So dairy, dairy is getting more attention now because... Uh, because this announcement has come out and because supply management tells farmers how much they're going to earn in advance, uh, we're seeing it, 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 it's not the only reason dairy prices are going up. Whereas I was reading a, an article this morning that said uh, that had Americans without supply management complaining about rises in dairy prices. And frankly, as I said, the bad news is other things are going to go up. They're just not going to get announced in advance. Okay, uh, let's bring in Rosie Schwartz. Rosie, uh, are you surprised by such a big increase in dairy? And off the top, what would you say to people uh, who think it's a lot on their budget? Well, I think it is a lot on their budget, but we've been seeing very, in some cases, very subtle changes in food prices. Um, we've been seeing things that have not been announced, um, shrinking um, food product, food packaging. So, you know, the price may remain the same with certain food items, but there's less in the package. And so consumers, um, we've been paying more um, over the past little while and sometimes just not being aware of it. Um Dr. Von now, so, uh, so without getting into the weeds on this, uh, just uh, very briefly explain this supply management thing. So it, there's not competition, you know, if everybody produced as much as they wanted to, the price would probably go down. Supply management, there's quotas for, for, for dairy products, and that keeps the prices high. Well, there are quotas for dairy prices. The, 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 that for, for, for dairy production, Gosh. what we've done for, for milk uh, for milk production, uh, what we've done is we have, to the, for the most part, closed our borders and provided quotas based on what the anticipated demand is in Canada. It's uh, farmers are provided a cost of production uh, a cost of production uh, formula that sets the prices. Um, the it, it, we do have um, some will some will disagree uh, have higher prices for dairy products in Canada than they do in the U.S. That's for a variety of reasons, I would argue, and I think that we also have higher prices of other products in Canada uh, than we do in the U.S. And again, for a variety of reasons. But but what happens is farmers in this industry produce to the quota that they are provided and are provided a guaranteed return. On, on the milk that they produce. And so that price is set by the Canadian Dairy Commission. 
Okay. Well, you know, um, again, uh, there are those who say that uh, Dairy Commission should be a little more transparent in what they do. And uh, the price hikes, I mentioned butter because I really find it expensive. And uh, the price of butter is uh, likely to go up, according to some people, 15%. So people out there, I'd like to know, what's that going to do to your budget? Are you going to cut back on dairy products? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Rosie Schwartz, what would you tell people who, you know, want to cut back given how expensive it is? Well, I think that, Libby, we need to look at the whole, you know, all of our food, how we're purchasing food. I mean, the the statistics show that um, that of all the um, food that's produced in Canada, we waste about 58% of our food, and we are throwing out so much um, that people are not using that food that is spoiling. So I think, yes, dairy products are going to be going up, but we need to look at how do we buy food? How do we shop? And we need to make some big changes there so that it's not just in terms of food costs, but also what we're doing to the environment. So if we are if we're doing things like, you know, planning our menus, looking at how um, how to use all our food up without wasting food, then that will save us a lot of money. Absolutely. Uh, but in terms of uh, just the dairy products, um, what can people do to cut back on that in terms of menu planning or what they're buying? Well, I think looking at how how they're using these foods. Um, they're, you know, if they're using, you know, more specialty, you know, specialty cheeses or whatever to, to maybe use less, but, um, but looking at um, how we are using these products and, and to say, well, we, you know, people, I've heard people say, well, then I'm going to switch to non-dairy um, milk alternatives, for example. Well, they're actually more expensive than than um, cow's milk. So I think you know, looking at how we're using it, if you know, if butter is going up, for example, some foods like butter may be um, using less of it. But then, when it comes to things like fluid milk or um, cheeses or yogurts, for example, um, using looking at the packaging of how we're buying them. So, for example, if you're buying yogurt in individual containers, you're going to, you know, single-serving containers, you're going to be paying much more than if you're if you're looking at the larger containers and, and doing looking at budgets this way. Yeah, and I guess, uh, uh, Dr. Von Masso, other things like baked goods, uh, they'll also be going up. Well, Maybe we're going to see price increases on baked goods. The the drought in Western Canada, we're seeing price increases already on pasta. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but but uh, as Rosie said, you know, shopping, planning, shopping carefully. Uh, one of the biggest ways that we can uh, save money is to, and it's it's more difficult on dairy products, is to shop seasonally. Is to be flexible. Many of us are very rigid in our shopping habits. We buy the same thing every time and, and accept those those price increases. But if we're willing to grab what's on special, if we're willing to grab the vegetables or fruits that are in season, we can, to a significant degree, moderate those price increases by, by picking and choosing. Again, with dairy, it's a little bit more difficult. But as uh, as red meat prices go up, we see consumers often trade down. So... Rather than eating less beef necessarily, they might not eat a prime cut quite as often and eat more ground beef. It all depends on specifically the shopping habits of the individual. Clearly, price increases like we're seeing hurt those that are, are food insecure more significantly than people who have higher incomes and have the flexibility to pay a bit more or to sort of... Uh, juggle what we're buying. Well, and 
I want to know what's happening to the pandemic effect that I know that certainly earlier in the pandemic, uh, I wasted a lot more food because I was cutting back uh, on shopping and uh, I kept shopping in person as opposed to ordering. But I'm wondering, is that still a thing or are people getting used to, you know, going back to shopping a little more often because things are better now? Rosie, do you have a sense? Um, I think people are shopping more, but I think it's looking at changing shopping habits in a different way. So, for example, um, if you're buying cheese, then um, looking at looking at supermarket flyers, going online, checking out the sales. So, for example, you can buy there's certain cheeses that you like, but looking to see which supermarket um, is having a sale. And then maybe it can be difficult, but maybe stocking up on the items that are on sale, checking the best before date to make sure that you're not, you know, loading up on things that, that expire soon or would, would spoil soon. But I think looking at um, something that people ha- were not doing during COVID, I think looking at supermarket flyers because they were just sort of sticking to, you know, nearby stores or whatever – but I think we need to start doing that, looking at, if you're shopping in person, look at um, clipping coupons. And and so doing things that, you know, what's on sale? What should I be buying this week? So there may be, and not just dairy products, but maybe um, chicken may be on sale. So maybe buying some, putting it in the freezer, labeling it. Also, fewer... Um, sometimes fewer convenience products. And so I'm not saying that you have to spend hours and hours cooking in your kitchen, but for example, if you're buying um, dried beans and peas, if you're buying um, grains and they're not in small packages, if you're cooking more and then dividing it up right away, putting it in the freezer in labeled portion-sized packages, then those are things that will help to save some money. Yeah, and they're, uh, I guess, uh, a bit time-consuming as well. Uh, Dr. Von Masso, uh, do you think that pandemic uh, shopping habits are kind of going back, or have they changed for good? What's your sense? Well, I, I, I think the answer, Libby, is a little bit of both. Uh, we clearly saw a dramatic increase in sort of the click and collect and online grocery shopping early in the pandemic. Once people realized that they were getting out of their houses a little bit more, then the grocery store became a place that they went, even if they weren't going a lot of other places. So we saw sort of in-person grocery shopping increase again. It makes it easier for some people to buy exactly what they want. They, They like to see it. They like to be a little bit more impulsive and buy maybe what's on special, as Rosie said, doing. So we've seen sort of somewhat of a return to, to pre-pandemic habits, but not uh, not entirely. Another thing that's moderated some of these price increases is that, that you know, we spent 40% of our income on uh, food prepared outside the home before the pandemic. With restaurants closed or scaled back, that went down significantly, and we're seeing people start to go out again, uh, but but not at the same rates as they did before. And clearly, if we eat out, it's more expensive than eating at home. And I expect that that trade-off will be another factor in how people deal with rising prices for food. What about... Uh takeout and uh, those meal kit things, um, where are they kind of uh, in the constellation, Rosie? They are, I mean, they really do add a lot to um, a weekly food budget. And for some people, they, you know, it is convenient, there are time issues, but I do think um, planning and and not having to spend a huge amount of time in food preparation. But for example, if you're cooking a meal and you if you have a menu, one of the things that I work on with my clients is let's work at a menu. If you're making pasta, for example, um, mark that down as your as you know something you're going to be making. But if you're making um, you're making a pasta, then cook extra and then have 
have that um, as part of your dinner for the next day in terms of a pasta salad or if you're having a Beans, for example, yes, you're having to cook them, but if you then, if you make a chili and, and you cook it for one meal, you're spending a lot of time doing one meal, but if you then, um, make more at the same time and freeze it, then that makes a huge difference. Or if you're cooking beans and then you add them to, you know, use them as meat extenders, um, there are ways of, of decreasing the food cost there. But the, the key is to plan, and, but not plan every week. If you've done a menu, if you've done things and you've got a shopping list, then you just keep working on the same ones. You can change it, you know, add seasonal items to it. But, um, but I, th- I think the key is to plan so that you don't waste money or time. Um, we are uh, basically almost out of time, Dr. Von Massa. W- what advice do you have for people to, uh, you know, greet these big price hikes? Well, I, th- I think Rosie's provided some some uh, some uh, some great advice. I think planning makes a difference. If you're eating meal kits, uh, and but that's replacing eating out in restaurants, then in some cases that's actually saving you money. But the the more uh, Planning, thinking about it, managing your inventory in the fridge so that you're throwing less out, uh, all of those are, are excellent points. And take advantage of what's seasonal, take advantage of what's on special, and, and to a significant degree, we can sort of at least moderate some of these price increases. Okay, Rosie, last 20 seconds to you. Don't waste when you're when you're preparing foods. If you're even if you're doing something like corn on the cob, for example, um, then cut the corn off, but freeze the cobs, and then take take your your vegetable scraps, throw it into a pot, and make a broth instead of buying, you know, spending the money on something that's prepared. And then you you're you're not wasting anything, and you're saving a lot of money. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Von Masso and Rosie Schwartz. Thank you, Libby. Thanks for having me. Okay. And uh, once again, if you have questions about the flu shots or other vaccines, send an email to rsvp at zoomermedia.ca. That's all the time we have for today. Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow. If you could not get through, or if there is something else that you want to talk about, we'll be right back here at noon tomorrow. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.